Father, we just want to continue the spirit of experiencing who you are. There's no way we could ever know all of your ways. You're so magnificent and yet so complex. And yet, God, to the degree that that we're able, I pray today that you will help us to see you clearly. God, I know right now that your, your arms are open wide to draw us to yourself. And we want to know you. We want your love to draw us to your heart. God, I pray for some who may be here today whose hearts are heavy, whose hearts are hurting. The cares of this world are pressing in around. And I, I pray that you will lift them up and encourage them with your love. God, I pray that not one of us would miss the opportunity to be drawn to you, to know you in all the ways that we can possibly comprehend you. And as we open your word and continue to worship you through your word today, I pray that you would look into our hearts. God, if there's sin in our life, I pray that you would convict us of that and draw us to you. If there's sadness in our heart, if there's heaviness in our heart, God, I pray that we'll be able to cast our burdens upon you and know that you care for us, know that you want to love us to yourself. And so continue, God, to pour out that love that you are upon us as we continue to worship you now through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to take your Bible and open with me to Psalm 102. Psalm 102, and I would encourage you to keep your Bible open and just walk through this passage with us today as as we allow God's Word to truly speak to our heart. I think most people here today and most people even in the world uh, would agree that this world is is filled with pain and suffering. Uh, Everywhere we turn in our world today, there are challenges. There are stresses that come upon us both from outside as well as from inside. Uh, Two decades ago, a very heavy part of my ministry was leading men to overcome addictive behaviors through a recovery process. And I remember distinctly on January the 18th, 2004, I left my office about 4.30 in the afternoon and and drove home to meet with my son and my daughter. I remember that day specifically because it was my wife's birthday, and I had dinner reservations. We were all prepared to to go out and celebrate together, celebrate her her birthday. Uh, One of the principles, foundational principles of recovery, is that anytime you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, that's an acrostic for halt, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you halt, you, you stop, and you call for help. You either call a sponsor or a friend because you know that you need help. Well, as I walked in the door that day, my telephone rang, and I saw the caller ID. It was one of my best friends. And so I answered the phone. And 
on the other end of the line, he said, Ronnie, I need you to go with me to Spartanburg now. He said, one of our friends, Gary, is ready to enter recovery. He's ready to go to treatment, and they have a spot for him if we get there by midnight tonight. I said, let me call you back. Hung up the phone. I turned to my daughter and my son and my wife, and I explained the situation to them, and they said, what are you doing still here? <laughs> Go! And so out the door I went. Gary was desperate for help and he knew it. And fortunately he reached out for help. Fortunately he called for help. Now let me ask you today. When's the last time you needed help? When's the last time you were desperate? And you knew that you couldn't help yourself. And you were willing to reach out and ask for help. That's what the psalmist was doing in Psalm 102. The psalmist was at that desperation point in his life. Psalm 102 was written when God's people were in exile. They were in exile because of their abandonment from knowing and obeying and seeking God with all their heart and serving Him. They were suffering from the consequences of their rebellion. Now, suffering is not always because of consequences from your rebellion. But regardless of the source of suffering, suffering is always real. And there's some principles here in Psalm 102. Because I believe today that there are principles here that all of us need. We all need help. And there are times in our life when we are desperate and we feel like there's really nowhere to turn. So what do you do in times when you are desperate? Well, the superscript in this song tells us that a child of God was afflicted and faint. And he poured out his complaint before the Lord, the Bible says. So I want you to join me today in giving thanks to God because there is hope for the hopeless. And you may not be there right now or you may be there right now. But somebody close to you probably is if you're not. And there's going to come a time when you will be there. So no matter what your circumstances are, I want us to Find the one clear source of hope today. I want you to go with me on a journey as we break down these three segments of this psalm very clearly. So let's just look at it. First of all, segment number one, hope rises from despair. We see in verses one and two, the psalmist is desperate. He says, hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry, do you hear that? Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. Now, I want you to try to enter in with me. I don't know, again, what's going on in your life today. But I want you to try to enter into the life of the psalmist here. And for the next nine verses, I want you to look for signs and symptoms and maybe some 
target points where you can actually identify with the psalmist here. Try to feel the despair as I read verses 3 through 11. He says, For my days pass away like smoke. My bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I'm a lonely sparrow on a housetop. All the day my enemies taught me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Do, do, you, do you feel the despair in the life of this psalmist? Do you know anybody like that today? Maybe, like I said, you're there. Maybe you're putting on a good front on the outside, but deep down inside, you know you feel some of these symptoms. So why do people call out to God? Well, when people cry out to God, they're looking for hope, usually in a hopeless situation. And the psalmist reminds us that hope rises from despair. Last Sunday, Matt Reeder sent me a letter from the pastor of Sanibel Island Community Church. And I just want to, as we move through this psalm today, I want to relate some of the things from the heart of this pastor who, listen now, he was losing everything. All earthly possessions were being swept away out to sea. Even as he shared some thoughts that I want to share with us today. It was Wednesday. The storm was raging and destroying the very island where he lives, Sanibel Island, Florida. He was sitting in a, a mall in Boca Raton, Florida, trying to get some news, trying to get some information on the internet. And one of the stores had a TV with news coverings of the storm. He was starved for information, so he walked over to watch with a few others, and he told them that he was from Sanibel, that he lived out on Sanibel Island. So these strangers who were watching television in real life, in real time, while the storm was hitting the island, were in shock. They couldn't believe that the stories that he was telling, the stories they were seeing on the news were actually happening to their island. The conversation ended that he was having with those people and he went back to the place where he was on his computer trying to get information out to some of his church members and a store, store employee came over asking, how can you be so calm when you're losing everything? As he started to explain that he was a Christian and a 
pastor of the church, the store clerk stopped him. His face lit up and he said, of course, you have God. I got it. It makes perfect sense. And he walked away with a smile on his face. Pastor Jeremy then said this, and I quote, Our Lord Jesus has rendered the ultimate aid to all loss, suffering, and pain. He bore the terrifying storm of God's wrath to save us from our sins. The cross of Jesus is our refuge. Jesus is our strength. He is risen and ever-present to help us. Let us go boldly to His throne for mercy and grace. This faith in the Lord is our refuge, strength, and help gives us an eternal strength that stands in stark contrast to the chaos of any storm. Wow. I mean, some of you have lived through storms similar to Ian. You know what it feels like to lose stuff. But do you know what it's like to lose almost everything? My heart goes out to Pastor Jeremy. I kind of feel from what little bit I've shared with you what his heart was feeling. But even greater than that, listen to this. I know the security and the source of strength that he experienced. I know that personally. Hope rises from despair when your hope is in the right source, when your foundation is firm in your faith in God through Jesus. See, almost nothing can draw you close to God like pain and suffering. Some of you have been there. Some of you know that. Some of you know the, the agony and desperation of what real life can do sometimes through, through pain. Well, the writer of Psalm 102 described that kind of distress. And he also described why he was distressed. He was in despair but his hope was in God. And we've already read a couple of times verses 1 through 11, but let me just point out some realities that if you scroll down through that part of the passage, segment 1, you'll see that the psalmist describes himself as burning with fever. Physically, he was sick with infection. He acknowledged the fact that life was like smoke. It was brief. It was here for a moment and then poof, vanished away. I was encouraged this past week because some of you actually missed me when I wasn't here. You asked me where I was, and I like that. When you ask me when I'm not here, you know, where are you? But I was actually at my father's 90th birthday celebration. Two of my brothers and myself sponsored a little surprise birthday party for my 90-year-old father, and it was fabulous. I looked around the room, though. There were several dozen of my cousins, first cousins, actually, who came and helped celebrate my dad's surprise birthday party. And as I scrolled the room, I looked around the room, I, I found that not a single one of them still had a parent alive. M my dad was it from those who were in that room. 
And it just reminded me of the fact that life is like smoke. I mean, it's here today. I don't care if you live 90 years or 190 years. <laughs> life is brief at best. It's like smoke. And the, the psalmist was acknowledging that. In verse 4, he's not only physically hurting, he's also suffering from depression. You ever been there? You ever been so sad and discouraged that you just were under a cloud of depression? He was so depressed, he says, that he, he even forgot to eat. Many things can cause that. Many things can cause us to forget to eat. We can be sick. We can have colds or other infections. We can be experiencing side effects from medication. We can have uh, stress in our life or fear or grief or depression or anorexia or even some kind of crisis like a hurricane, like a storm. But the psalmist describes himself as the fact that his bones were clinging to his flesh. I'm sure you've seen people before who maybe were sick, and after several weeks you looked at him and said, you're nothing but skin and bones. I mean, that's what he was saying about himself. He was saying, my bones are clinging to my flesh. Pain and loneliness and despair were clouds that were just bearing down over him. They occupied every single segment and every single moment of his life. And then to make it worse, we have verse 8. He had enemies. Enemies were a source of pain for him. I hope you're aware that we all have enemies. We have external enemies. We have enemies between our ears. I mean, I mean we all battle with, with some kind of enemy. And the psalmist knew what it was like in exile, when they were in Babylon, enemies destroyed their quality of life. Take, for example, you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Enemies came against them because of their faith in God, and what did they do? They threw them into a fiery furnace. God was with them. He spared them. Daniel was experiencing great faith in God, and he was thrown into a den of lions. Enemies are always going to be there. Even when the, the exiles returned back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Remember last year, some of you were here when we were studying through Ezra? There were enemies who tried to keep them from building God's house back in Jerusalem. Ashes in verses 9 through 11 are symbols of grieving. Is there anybody here? who's never experienced grief in your life. This psalmist was experiencing heavy grieving, and ashes were a symbol of grieving. They described the heavy grieving, the mourning, the uncontrollable weeping that he was experiencing. So he had physical and emotional pain, and even e evil enemies were causing despair in his life. And then, to make it even worse, in verses 9 and 10, he describes the fact that God's judgment had lifted him up and thrown him down. Now, I just picture, have you ever watched Wrestling Live on Channel 5? I mean, you know, I just, I picture somebody taking somebody up and throwing them down. That's the way this guy felt. But, verses 1 and 2. His prayer was going up to God. He was turning to the right source. Hope rises from despair regardless of the cause. Many causes, some are worse than others. It doesn't really matter what the cause is. When you're feeling in despair, 
You need help. And he realized that hope was rising from despair. So what can we learn from this? Number one, we can understand that it's good to acknowledge reality. Number two, the, the psalmist was appropriately, this may surprise you, complaining to God. Why was he complaining to God? Because he was, he was feeling depressed. He was feeling down. He was feeling discouraged. He was feeling pain from sickness and pain from just being weary about life. And so he did a good thing. He complained to the right source. He complained to God. Never apologize for complaining to God. It's okay. He wanted to just talk to God in his desperation. You know, I, I love it when, when I hear people praying out of their pain, praying out of their discouragement, especially when they're not using church words, when they're not using some magic formula or just repeating some prayer. You know, there's a difference in saying prayers and in praying. This guy was just talking to God, and that's what you and I should do when, when we're discouraged. Tell God about it. When we're depressed, tell God about it. When we need help, tell God about it. He never hesitated to shout out to God in his depression, in his desperation. So look again at verses 1 and 2, the source of our hope. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. Just do it. Call to God in desperation. The author of that recovery process that I used for many years in recovery explained it this way. He said, revealing the feeling is the beginning of healing. God wants us to come to Him and tell Him how we feel. And then hope can begin to rise from that despair. The second segment then is in verses 12 through 22. Hope rises through God's devotion to us. Now I want you to notice this. I want you to notice what this psalmist recognizes about God. In verse 12, he says, But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Verse 15, nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in His glory. He regards the prayers of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise you. Boy, I like that. A people yet to be created. That's you. That's me. Verse 19. That he looked down from his holy height. 
From heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise, when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. Here's the point. God is fully devoted to you. We sang it a while ago. God loves you. The, the picture that so many people have, especially in the Old Testament of God, is that he just goes around taking a big sledgehammer and whopping people over the head with that sledgehammer. That is not a picture of God at all. God's arms are open wide because he cares for you. He loves you. There's no reason for you to go through, through desperation in life without coming to God's loving arms, calling out to Him. See, the psalmist knew God. He was devoted to God, but he knew also that God was devoted to him. Uh, in, in, in his deepest despair, what did he do? He turned to God and prayed. He trusted God. In his despair, he affirmed God's devotion to him. And so for you and me today, in the toughest times of our life, it's critical that we not just know about God. It's critical that we know him. That we know his arms are open wide to draw us to himself and walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death. To know that he loves us. He cares for us. The psalmist reminds us that, that, that God reigns through all generations, every past, current, and future generation. And because of that, he is devoted to you and you can always be devoted to him. What was the psalmist doing? Well, he was pleading to God to restore the sacred places in Jerusalem and restore a place of worship that had been obliterated by the Babylonians. The stones that she held dear that he refers to here referred to the, to the city of Jerusalem. Now, we don't have time to exhaust this today, but if, if you read First and Second Peter, you see that Peter describes Jesus as the chief cornerstone. He describes believers like you and me as, as living stones. So this, this passage is not just talking about the pain of a psalmist many, many years ago. It's talking about the reality today that, that you and I have our hope and have our foundation and have our security in a God who cares about us. A God who desperately wants to walk with us through every step of our life. So we must remember that, that God is a covenant-keeping God, and He's going to keep His promises. He's a prayer-answering God, and He's going to answer prayer. But I want us to remember two or three things about prayer. First of all, do you understand that prayer is not just you telling God what you want? In fact, that's far from what prayer really is about. Prayer is to bring you and me into alignment with God so we can know what He wants 
And so we can ask for what he wants. And the psalmist here was giving us a clue of how this works and how God works through prayer. The prayer in verses 1 and 2 and again in verse 17 has to be answered through the perspective of God's covenant with his people. A covenant is a promise from God and you better believe God always keeps his word, always. So when we pray, there are three possible answers to our prayer. When God says yes, we love that, don't we? When he says yes, we may know that we are right in the center of fellowship and communion with him. And we're walking with him. And his heart is one with our heart, so we're getting the request that he has granted. When God says no, though, we need to understand that he has something better. You know, God always answers prayer, and sometimes the answer is no. But when God says no, we know what we were asking for may not be what's best for us. We know that God has something better. But when God says wait, not yet, which is what happened with the psalmist here, we know that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. So at just the right time, and in just the right way, God answered the prayer of this psalmist. Someone once said, when God says yes, we grow in awe. When God says wait, we grow in patience. When God says no, He is growing something better in us. And again, the point is, along with the psalmist, keep praying. Keep talking to God. The psalmist learned that God's timing is always perfect. It may not be when we want it or what we want, but it's always perfect. So we keep on praying. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. There's a, there's a passage here that brings to life what the psalmist how God answers the psalmist's prayer. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Here's what the Bible says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So two things from the psalmist to the writer of Galatians. Number one, at just the right time, in the fullness of time, in the perfect time, God answered his prayer. And secondly, God answered his prayer by not only rescuing people like the psalmist, but redeeming all mankind. The word redeem, again, is a, is a covenant word. It's covenant language. There, there are two kinds of covenants in the Bible, at least. One covenant is a conditional covenant. We see that with, Abraham, with Adam and with Moses. God gave a conditional covenant. If you do this, then I'll do this. Uh, a good example of that is Second uh, Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, where the Bible says, If my people, who are called by my name, 
shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That was a conditional promise. If you do this, God says, I'll do this. Unfortunately, Israel did not keep the covenant with God. God kept his part of the covenant because Israel had to end up under judgment rather than experiencing the full blessing of God in the promised land. So one type of covenant is a conditional covenant. Another type of covenant, which is what we have here, which is an unconditional covenant. That's the kind of covenant God made with Abraham, kind of covenant God made with David. God said, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to have children as many as the stars in the sky. God said through David, I'm going to send a Savior into the world through your line. And God kept his end of the covenant. And it doesn't matter about who responds to it or not. God's part is secure. It will happen. So redemption means to be bought back. It's the covenant language of God. And here's, here's the importance of that for us today. Your sin, my sin, separates us from God. And at just the right time, God fulfilled His promise. He came from heaven. He entered the world that He created and became one of us. He became flesh. Why did He do that? He did that to set those who were doomed, which is all of us, free from the penalty of our sin. He did that so we could live life in relationship with Him, be drawn to Him. Jesus came to set captives free. Jesus came to live in your heart and my heart today. And the only hope we have in this world is in Jesus. So I want you to make sure today, make sure that you trust Him. Make sure that you've given your heart to Him. See, the psalmist prayer was totally and forever answered in Jesus. He became the one, as the Bible says in Luke chapter 4, to set the captives free. And that's you and that's me. So God is a covenant-keeping God. And hope rises through God's devotion to us. Look at the picture of that in verses 21 and 22. That they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem His praise when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. See, when you know Jesus, you can't help but be drawn to God in worship because hope rises through God's devotion to you. And celebration breaks out through your devotion to God as a result of God's devotion to you. Wow. What a great message for us today. But then there's segment three. Verses 23 to 28. Hope rises through dependence. Dependency on God. See, God's going to do His part. If you want to live with hope in this life, God's available. He's going to do His part. But you have a part as well. 
You have to put your dependency on him. Look at verse 23 and 24. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh, my God, I say. Take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. See, the psalmist probably lived a shortened life. We don't know how long he lived, but we know this. Life at best is short. And he lived a shortened life. His vision was on target. He wanted to see Jerusalem restored so God's people could return to worshiping him. So, so God's people could have a place set aside to lift up praise and glory to God. Now for whatever reason, in God's economy, God refused his request but he answered his prayer. And that will be the same for you and me as well. Sometimes, you know, we may ask for things that are not in God's timing or in God's best interest or even in our best interest. God may refuse our request, but he's always going to answer our prayer. He always has something better if he says no. And that's what happened to this psalmist. Let me give you another illustration from Pastor Jeremy Sanibel Island Community Church pastor, because he agreed with the psalmist in Psalm 102. Here's what he said. He said, God is our refuge. He's quoting Psalm 46 at this point. But listen to his heart. Listen to his words and listen to his heart. No storm touches God. God needs no insurance policy because he reigns above the flood. He is the only safe place. God is our strength. God never loses power or fuel. The Lord doesn't feel anxious or perturbed and has no troubled thoughts about the future. Our Heavenly Father is not passing through phases of shock, grief, or despair. The triune God dwells in perfect peace, joy, and delight at all times. He is not exhausted or depleted. He is our helper who is always found in times of trouble. Now, all of those emotions that Pastor Jeremy was describing that God is not, you are. I am. I mean, you may be putting on a good front sometime. You may be putting on a good facade. But deep down inside, we all go through times of discouragement. We all go through times of pain. But we have a helper in God, who lives above all that. And finally, Pastor Jeremy says, trouble comes and goes, hurricanes pass, but our helper never changes or leaves us. Even when our future is uncertain and our lives have been completely overturned, we know these things about God. He is almighty. He is eternal. And He loves us. Do you have that kind of foundation in your life today? Have you put your faith and hope and trust that when the storms may rage and the seas may rise, your faith stands firm? Hope rises from our dependency upon God.
And then in conclusion, in Psalm 102, verse 25 to 28, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain, and they will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servant shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. You see it? Hope rises from dependency on a God who never changes. A God who loves you, cares for you. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, the writer of Hebrews uses these same words to describe the security that we have in Jesus. Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better than anything that's ever been created. These same words are fulfilled in Jesus. See, God's ways and timing are perfect. And there's hope for the hopeless when we realize that we are totally helpless without Him. I need to have an anchor that's bigger than me, that's stronger than me, that's mightier than me, that's perfect. You need an anchor that's bigger than you, mightier than you, that's perfect. And our only hope comes through God's grace and God's mercy. So I pray that you will join me today in depending on Him. What is hope? Well, hope is a desire or expectation that something better will happen. Are you satisfied with what's going on around you in this world today? This world, because of sin, is hopeless. But we have an anchor. We have a security that helps us rise above the chaos of this world. And so far today, by way of application from this psalm, there's so much more to this psalm, but by way of application, there is hope in Jesus for the hopeless. That's the bottom line. So when you are hungry, angry, lonely, and tired... I mean, you, you can turn to a source of help in a friend or a sponsor, and that will be a good thing. But the better thing, the best thing along with that is to turn to our perfect, holy, loving God through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This past weekend, when I looked around the room at the cousins that I have in the room, there were probably 40, 45 people at my dad's birthday celebration in a little room. We had the opportunity to say some words over my dad, and I took advantage of that opportunity to share the gospel because as I look at the eyes of some of my cousins, some guests who were there, there was a lot of emptiness, a lot of hopelessness in the eyes of, of many of them. And I shared with them that my dad's hope at 90 years old 
is in Jesus. And he shared Jesus with me, and my hope in this world is Jesus. So whether you're here today and you've never responded to God's love for you through Jesus, I pray that you'll do that right now. I pray that you will take advantage of this moment to say yes to Jesus. Are you willing to do that? And if you have done that, I want to challenge you to join me in taking advantage of opportunities when you see people who are far from God, who are living hopeless lives, that you'll share the simple gospel that sin is real and it's caused all the problems in this world and it separates us from God. But God has sent us the answer. He sent us hope. He's come to be hope for us. And if you'll repent of your sin and turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus, He will anchor you in His hope. So I pray that you will know that message, that you will share that message with people in your life today. Would you join me as we pray? God, I want to thank you today for the hope that we do have in Jesus. I pray for those here today who maybe don't understand everything there is to know about you, but they feel your Holy Spirit calling them to put their hope and trust in you. God, I just pray that there'll be some here today who will take that step of faith, give their life to Jesus, say, God, I want to give all that I know about myself and ask you to forgive me of my sin to all that I know about you and I want Jesus to be my Savior. And I want to spend the rest of my life living for you and praising you. Thank you for Jesus today. And then God, for all of us, I pray that every part of our life would be a celebration to you as we demonstrate the fact that you are the hope of the world. You are the hope for the hopeless. In Jesus' name now, we continue to worship and pray.